Well, good morning, everybody. So glad you're with us here at New Life Church. Going to get back to our seats. We're going to get into the Word today. And um, we've got a um, special speaker this uh, today. Actually, this month, we've got different leaders within our church uh, speaking, which is a privilege, and it's an honor, and it's, it's just a great thing to have. But Brandon Bailey is going to be bringing the message today. One of the great things that stands out to me about Brandon is his, is his humility. Uh, humility is is, uh, is is attractive, I think. And in this day, in this in this time of, of life, in this world, there's not a lot of humble people out there, quite honestly. And humility is a teachable thing. That's what Jesus said. He said, "I'm humble, and I can teach you." And I think that's what Brandon's going to do today. God has made him humble, and he's going to teach us today. And so I think we can learn a lot from what God's put in Brandon's heart for us today, and uh, and for our church. So let's welcome. One of our lay leaders here in our church, Brandon Bailey. Thank you, Pastor. Love you, man. Thank you, brother. All right, am I on? Okay. Wow, what an intro. I better stay humble. <laughs> I'd have to say I've, e- I've eaten a few humble pies in my day to get there, and um, I'm, I'm sure God's not done with me yet on that. So um, it's a pleasure to be up here with you all today. Uh, I love my church. I love my leadership. And I've got to say... As I start off, I just want to show some appreciation to Pastor Jeremy, not only for opening up the pulpit to leaders in the church, but when you get in there and you get to digging and you get to studying, man, you realize there's a lot to this preaching thing, right? And so, man, I just appreciate you doing it day in, day out, and let's just give him a round of applause for his diligence for that. So, um, very thankful for your leadership in my life. Um, So as we get started this morning, let's just start off with a word of prayer, shall we? Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share your word, to share, Father, what you have done in my life and what you're doing in our lives. Father, I just pray, Lord, that um, God, I I wouldn't get in your way today, that, that you would bring words of life through me, that it wouldn't just be my words, Lord, but it'd be your word for your children today. And let your word, I know it's living, it's active, let it be active in our hearts, bring spiritual growth in our lives in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today um, my goal is to encourage you uh, for spiritual growth. Now, may Really, pretty much the point of every sermon is that, right? I mean, okay, it was an easy topic to choose. But for the past like month and a half, since or two months since I've known I was going to get to preach, um, that's been like the one clear topic that has been on my heart. And I've, I've explored other things, other thoughts that I had, and it felt like God always just kind of brought me back to know this spiritual growth, encourage my people to grow. And so I, I stuck with that plan. And the, the thing is, the thing with spiritual growth is, is, is that we have ups and downs in life, right? Um, if you're like me, maybe when you were first, uh, first saved and you're a new Christian, uh, you were just on fire for God. I mean, you were just growing, things were changing, I and mean, it was such a drastic change that, uh, you know, you just on fire. Right? You were a Jesus freak, as they called it back in the day with the DC talk. Anybody remember that? Um, 
But then maybe along the way, uh, you kind of uh, had some ups and downs, kind of had some bumps in the road, maybe stalled out a time or two, and maybe you kind of hit a place in your life where you just kind of plateaued, right? You kind of hit, kind of settled in one spot. and said, well, this is what God has for me. And you just kind of stay there for a while. And, and you know what? We have seasons like that. But I believe that it's God's intention for us to always be growing. Unlike the natural life cycle, right, where we kind of, I hit my certain height here, and I was hoping for another couple inches so I could, you know, get past six foot, but God kept me at 5'11". But it's close enough that I just tell people I'm six foot. Well, unlike the natural life cycle where we, we, we quit growing at some point, in the spiritual life cycle we continue to grow until the end, until we go home, until we reach heaven's gate, right? So don't just take my word for it. I want, I want you to hear it from the word. Consider this scripture for your growth in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And it says, For I am confident, this is Paul writing, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, this is for you, will perfect it or complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, God's not done with me yet. Isn't that good to know? Hey, God's still working on me. And you know what? Sometimes when I remember that about, if I remember that about y'all, you remember that about me, if I do something or somebody does something, you can remember, you know what? God's not done with them yet, right? It helps us to have grace for people, amen? Uh, so God is not done with you yet. That's good news. Oh, that is good news. I remember the first time I uh, read this scripture as a new Christian, and it was like a light bulb went off. Whoa, God's done this work within me, and he's going to keep working in me. You never hit a point where God says, well, you should have gotten all that you, you should be there by now. Like, it, we're cutting you off. Pastor Jamie, we're cutting you off. God doesn't do that. In fact, we will never reach the end or the depth of what God has for us in our lives. If you get there, you'll probably just like transcend into heaven and we won't even know about it. So I don't think we'll ever hit it until we get to heaven. Turn with me, or we can get on the screen here, Ephesians chapter 3, <clears throat> verses uh, 20. Is that right? Yes, 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Now I've heard this scripture used a lot. We love to quote it. We love to say it. But did you know that this scripture is written really in the context of spiritual growth? I mean, Paul is talking to the believers in Ephesus about change, about growth, about God's power within us, beyond all that we ask or think, turn to your neighbor and say, there's hope for me yet. That's right. That's right. So when we follow God's plan for growth, these scriptures show us what, what could be our reality in our life for our spiritual growth. When we follow His plan, uh, we will find more love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Did I hit them all? 
They'll leave one out. Faithfulness. Thank you. That's a pretty awesome picture. I want that in my life. That is God's picture of spiritual growth in your life. More fruit of the Spirit. Uh, so where am I going with this? Um, well, we've been, we've been working through a series that Pastor Jeremy has set us on a, a plan for so we could keep all of us other preachers in line. Um, and it's, it's, we're covering the epistles, uh, which are the letters to the churches, right? Mostly from the Apostle Paul. And so as I was looking at these verses and considering spiritual growth, I thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool today to examine the life of the Apostle Paul a little bit closer. I mean, the guy who God used really to just build the new church, the early church, and to write 13 of, the, of those epistles. So uh, we're going to look at Paul's conversion. Now, we could do a spinoff and do a whole new series, surprise, of Paul's life. I mean, you could learn a lot. Uh, but we're just going to stick with the conversion of the Apostle Paul, and I want to show uh, y'all four pillars of spiritual growth. Not the thing that you lay your head on at night, not that pillar, but (laughs) pillars that hold buildings up, okay? I'm from Southern Illinois, so I know, I know, y'all are from Tennessee, pillar, I know what a pillar is, okay. So, so we're going to be going to Acts chapter 9, if you want to get there, if you want to turn there, we're going to have it on the screen here in a second, but I want to set up this scene here for Paul's conversion. Um, as you all probably know, before he was Paul, he was Saul, right? And I thought this was interesting. Just like King Saul persecuted David, so did the New Testament Saul persecuted Christ. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. We could go, you could go somewhere with that. That's, too, that's over my head. <clears throat> but here's Saul. He is, a, he is a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's zealous for the Jewish uh, religion. And because of that uh, zealousness, he he became a persecutor of the church. And as we get into chapter 9, two chapters, I believe it was, before this, yeah, in chapter 7, Saul, who will be Paul, is watching and applauding the death of Stephen. He's martyred for his faith. And Saul's like, good show. Good show. And, he, and he, from that point, it says a great persecution or a severe persecution uh, rose up against the church in Jerusalem at that time. And Saul was at the forefront of that. In fact, it says about Saul that he was ravaging the church. He was dragging off men and women to prison because they were Christians. Now, he's leaving orphan children at home. Mom and dad, you're coming with me. We're going to jail. He was that zealous, and in his mind, he was serving God. Can you imagine that? This was a bad dude. Okay? Persecuting the church. So, turn with me to Acts chapter 9, verse 1, and we're going to read the first few scriptures here as we see things are about to change. It says, now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if, if he found any belonging to the way, that's what they called early Christianity, I think it's pretty cool, the way, uh, both men and women, that he might bring them bound t- to Jerusalem. And as he was traveling... 
it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and Saul said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The first pillar of spiritual growth is actually the cornerstone of spiritual growth. And that's to have an encounter with Jesus. Aren't you glad Jesus meets us where we're at? I mean, here's Saul on his way to persecute more Christians. And Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus encounters him and changes the course of his life from that point on. He meets us where we're at. He's not afraid of our messes. He's not scared off by your mistakes. And He's not afraid to confront you where you're at. If you're going the wrong way, if you're going down the wrong path, He's not afraid to meet you there and help you do a 180. He meets you where you're at. If you bring your sin to the feet of Jesus, you leave washed white as snow. If you're walking through fire today, He's there with you in the fire. He meets you where you're at and keeps you from being consumed. If you come to Him burdened and weary, as Pastor Jeremy shared so so well with us this morning, He gives you rest. He gives you His burden at His light. If you're discouraged today, He restores hope. He meets you where you're at. Now, if you're here today and by chance you don't know Jesus, you need to know that salvation, that a relationship with Christ is a free gift from God. You need to know that He can meet you where you're at. And that it's not just about religion, but it's about relationship. Or maybe you're, or maybe you've been in the church for a long time, but um, you can't really quite recall a real encounter with the Lord. He meets you where you're at. And this is the cornerstone for spiritual growth. Everything really hinges on this. It's the secret sauce, if you will, right? What has to go? Two, two quarter patties, uh, pickles, <laughs> onion, and the secret sauce? The old McDonald's from the 70s? That was before my time. It really was. <laughs> It's the secret sauce of spiritual growth. And guess what? For us, those of you who have been saved for 30 years, 20 years, 10 years, 40 years, it's still the secret sauce. And it's good. It is good. We don't grow out of needing an encounter with our risen Lord. We're always coming back to home. And, and we're touching base. And we're getting filled up. And we're getting encouraged and refreshed. It's it's continually seeking an encounter with Jesus. We never grow past that that stage. It's not just a stage. It's a pillar in our lives, right? So it's not a one-time thing. And this is true in Paul's life. If you look at Paul's life, 
he, he heard from the Lord from different occasions. Uh, other disciples ministered to him through the, the Lord ministered through other disciples. He was encountering Jesus throughout his walk, throughout his ministry, and it kept him going. He wouldn't have been able to write 13 epistles without encountering Jesus, right? So we don't grow out of this. It's not a one-time thing. But there's a lot of distractions that come into play in our, in our life. I know I've seen it in my life. Sorry. And I want to I share with you one of those distractions, one of those things that happens from Luke chapter 10. We're going to put that up here. And basically, um, Jesus was traveling with the disciples, and they entered a, vi- a village, and there was a woman named Martha who brought them into their home. You all know this story. But she had a sister called Mary and who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to His Word. But Martha, just like Martha Stewart. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to... Had to go there. She was distracted by all her preparations, right? She was trying to be Martha Stewart. And she was trying to get everything ready, trying to have everything just so-so, everything perfect. She was trying to just... The Lord's here. We've got to do this, do this, do that, do that, do this, do this, do that, right? And she got to the point where she's like, Mary is just being a lazy bum. She's just sitting here at the Lord's feet. I'm doing everything. All the responsibility, all the work is falling on me. You've all probably been there. I've, I've felt that way before. And Martha comes to the Lord and she says, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? I mean, (laughs) come on. Tell her to help me. First mistake, don't try to tell the Lord what he should do. Right? should be asking him. But the Lord answered and he said to her, Martha, Martha. You can just say it like Martha. Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. See that? One, one thing. Mm. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. What was she doing? She was seated at the Lord's feet. She was listening to Him. She was in His presence. How long has it been since she just still still before the Lord it's, it's a practice it's an art that I think today in our modern society that we sometimes we lose, lose sight of right we've got a lot of distractions we, I think we all think we've got ADD right because if we sit down to pray and our thoughts are going it happens to me too but when I really hear from the Lord, when I really get encouraged, when I really feel His presence, is when I just get out of the way and just am still. Quiet. Before the Lord. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't be a Martha. <laughs> if, you're, if you're here today and your name's Martha, um, no offense. <laughs> different, totally different Martha here we're talking about. So we encounter the Lord through quiet times. We encounter the Lord through repentance. The scripture doesn't expressly say that Saul confessed his sins. He asked the Lord. It doesn't say that specifically. But repentance is a turning away from right sin and turning towards the Lord, going his way. And if Paul in chapter 9 and chapter 8, he was persecuting the church, 
chapter 10. I'm sorry, let's see, where am I at? Later on in chapter 9, it actually says, Saul begins to preach Christ. Persecuted the church, preaching Christ. If that's not repentance, if that's not a turning away, then I don't know what is, right? So, the, so we encounter the Lord through repentance. He was humbled. He turned towards the Lord. We encounter the Lord through His Word, right? In fact, Jesus is the living Word. This book is like no other. This book is alive. It's God-breathed. And the more you get it in you, the more Jesus is getting in you and changing your thoughts and your ways into His thoughts and His ways, which are much higher than ours. So we encounter the Lord through repentance, through God's Word, through prayer. James says the, the, the fervent prayers of, of the righteous availeth much. They, they accomplish a lot. We encounter the Lord through prayer. We encounter the Lord through worship. We encountered Him this morning. Thank you all. Thank you, team, for getting up here weekend after weekend and not just working, not just going through the motions, but really worshiping, really bringing us into God's presence. Thank you for that. We encounter God in our worship. So that was the cornerstone of spiritual growth, encountering Jesus. I better hurry up. How much time do y'all have? Okay. Next, Acts chapter 9, verse 7 through 12. Let's see what happens next in Paul's conversion. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Am I right? Yeah. Saul got up from the ground, and, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and laying his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. The second pillar of spiritual growth is to embrace relationships. Here Paul was, I'm going to go by Paul now, even though he wasn't Paul yet here. But here he was, he had been a leader of men. right? And now God is teaching him to be led by men. To be vulnerable. Now, I've, I've never been in a state like this, blinded, having literally to be led around by others. But I'll tell you, sometimes in my life, I've had times when my vision has needed healing. When my perspective on something has just been off. And I've needed someone who's on the outside, a godly brother, a godly sister, who's able to, say, have perspective that I need. And heal my vision per se. In Genesis chapter 2, uh, God said it is not good for man to be alone. He, he intended for us to be in relationship. Uh, that's still true today. He does not intend for you to be alone. He intends for you to have rich Christian fellowship. In fact, a, a Harvard study confirmed this. Uh, there was a Harvard study that went on for over 75 years 
we were all paying for this and didn't even know it. It's a grant-funded study. Isn't that great? <clears throat> and and uh, finally, this guy kind of put in charge of it at Harvard, and he's like, we need to wrap this thing up and see what's the, what came out of all this data. And they were um, studying, basically trying to figure out what, is there anything in common with the people who are the happiest and the healthiest in life? You can see why it took them 75 years. They could have just came to one of us and we'd tell them. But here's, here's, what, here's what they found out. It wasn't having a lot of money. It wasn't success. It wasn't good looks. Sorry, y'all. Um, it actually was the, those who were the happiest and the healthiest were those who had close relationships. Isn't that cool? In fact, it, it's, it may just be as important to your health to have close relationships as diet and exercise. So if you need help with this, call me over. We'll make, make some burgers. I'll help you with that. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, I'm not kidding, actually. So relationships can be tough for us sometimes. Uh, busyness, insecurities, uh, personality factors. Maybe you're more introverted, a little more quiet. I like to keep it to myself. Uh, those can keep us from intimate relationships even within the church. But y'all... This is a church family, right? Let's take on that mentality. We're, we're a family. And sometimes, whether you like it or not, you know, you're, you're kind of stuck together. You're stuck with me. Um, and families spend time together. Families share what they're going through. Families even have conflict sometimes. But what do you do if it's family? You work to resolve it, right? We're a family. We're, we're God's family. So there's no real techniques to having just close relationships, like you can't just say a formula, like, well, if I do this, this, and this, I'll have close relationships. Um, a Christian psychologist, Les and Leslie Parrott, actually say it's more about being a certain way, being a certain type of person in your relationships with others. And there's seven things that they pointed out. I want to share these with you real quick. Be someone who listens. Be someone who is safe. In other words, People can share with you. People can share their ups and downs, their feelings, and you're not there to judge. You're not there to uh, hurt them. Be someone who's safe. Be someone who lends a hand. I probably uh, ask for that one more than I should. Right, Thomas? (laughs) I'm working on it. God's still working on me. Um, be someone who can walk in another's shoes, so to speak, right? Have empathy. Under, try to understand what others are going through. Just look outside of your own situation. Be someone who can receive, right? Can receive from others. I, got, I think I got that one down. Um, be someone who weathers turbulence. Not, not every relationship, you know, right? Relationships are messy. Sometimes maybe that's why we stay away from them. But you, if you ride the storm, you tend to find that you have a closer relationship with that person. Hey, we had a disagreement a while back, y'all, but, well, we worked through that, and now we have a better respect for each other, right? So ride the storms and be someone who knows when to call it quits. Now, I've got to explain that one a little bit. <clears throat> what that means is if you're in an unhealthy relationship, if you're in a relationship that's abusive, that's emotionally abusive, that is not getting you to God, if it's dragging you down, pulling you into things of your past, etc., Right? Know when to call it quits. This isn't for you married folks who, you know, have a bad day. Brandon said, call it, know when to call it quits. No, but that, that's a time when you don't call it quits because of, right, of your 
covenant with God and you seek counseling and help and wise counsel. So, okay. So as you press into relationships, you will grow. So we're we're just about out of time. I've got two more I could save for another time. Or I could keep going. Keep going. Uh, How many? I've only gone 30? Okay, I was just watching the clock. He said, I got another hour, y'all. Let's do it. Okay. You heard, Pastor. Acts chapter 9, verse... I'll, I'll try to speed these up. Chapter 9, verse 10 through 15, we're going to see our third pillar here. There was a disciple at Damascus. Wait a minute, I messed up. I'm sorry, yes, 13. Okay, so we just heard about Ananias. God said, go pray for Paul, or Saul, actually, at that time. Ananias, check this out. He answers, he's like, he's arguing with the Lord. He's like, Lord, whoa, I've heard from many about this guy, how much harm he did to your saints. And here he ha- I hear he has authority from chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. The third pillar for spiritual growth is to embrace your identity in Christ. Here's Saul He was a persecutor of the church. But God says, Jesus says, he's a chosen vessel. Now, now, a lot of people didn't trust Saul for a while. They didn't trust the change that had happened in him. And rightly so. Right? Like, it's just a trick. I don't trust this guy. Now, Paul could have allowed himself to be defined by that. He could have gotten out there, gotten discouraged, said, you know what? Everybody knows me as Saul. I'm killing people. I'm arresting people. This this can't work. He could have been defined by how other people viewed him by his past, but he didn't. He went on with who God said he was. The truth is, what if he had let that discourage him? We wouldn't have half the Bible that we have today. Now, as a counselor, I have worked with people with depression, with anxiety, uh, low self-esteem, just a lot of different issues. And in, in, in most cases, I've seen a broken sense of self. Even with even Christians, mostly who I've worked with in counseling, it's a, they have a broken sense of self. See, Satan would like to rob you of your identity. He, he would like to practice identity theft, right? Uh, but he can't actually do that. Did you know that? If you are in Christ, Satan cannot rob you of your identity. The only thing he can do is he can trick you, he can deceive you into believing you're not who God says you are. The knowledge, well, the truth is, is that God is the only one who has the authority to say who you are. Did you hear that? God is the only one with the authority to say who you are. You don't have to be uh, defined by your past mistakes. You don't have to be defined by maybe what someone has spoken over you or called you before. In fact, when we look that way, we tend to lead our lives 
trying to please others because we're trying to get that approval, we're trying to get that acceptance. You're already approved. You're already accepted. Be who you are. Do you believe that your sins are forgiven? Your past mistakes are erased? Do you believe that your potential is great? Above and beyond all that you could think? Do you believe that God loves you today, how you are right now? He loves you. Look what the word says in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 10. You are a chosen people, you are a royal priesthood, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are God's child, Christ's friend, justified, bought with a price. You're a saint. You're not just a sinner. You're free from condemnation. You're a citizen of heaven. God's kingdom is within you. You're His masterpiece. His workmanship. You're salt and light to a dying world. You're chosen. You're God's temple. You are all those things. You no longer have to be defined by what the world says, by what the past says. Put on your identity in Christ. Don't be deceived. Realize who you belong to, who your daddy is. All right, Acts chapter 9. This is the last, the fourth pillar of spiritual growth comes from verse 15 to 16. So we just read that what, what God is telling Ananias, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and, and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him, verse 16, how much he must suffer for my name's sake. The fourth pillar of spiritual growth is to expect hard times. Now, I'll be honest, I struggled with this one. I kind of didn't really want to preach on this part. I kind of had that old school mentality that if if I preach it, I'm going to get tested in it, and I don't want to do that. (laughs) I I struggled with the Lord. I'm like, hey, let me use this other idea here. and I just, I couldn't get away from it, y'all. The truth is, we've got to get away from that mentality. The truth is, whether you're in Christ or not, you're going to have some tough times in life. And, the, and I, I just I believe that there's this uh, mentality in the modern church today that it should be an easy road, right? That, you, that as you, once you come to Christ, all your troubles are gone, right? And I, hey, I, I'm with you. I wish that was the case. And I'll say this. God has spared me from a lot, right? But Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles, 
But what did he say after that? Take courage. I've overcome the world. The fourth and last pillar for spiritual growth is to expect those hard times, but to know that God has a purpose through them. God has a plan through them. I can think of times in my life when I faced tough times, troubled times, things that were out of my control, beyond my circumstances. And those were times when I look back now and I realize I grew more in the valley than I did on the mountaintop. Thank God for the mountaintops. I need them. Lord, I need a mountaintop. But it was times when I was in the valley when I grew, I grew the most. At times we're, we're prone to think that God's only smiling on you, only pleased with you when things are going well. Boy, things are all coming together. God must be pleased with me. I'm doing so good. Right? And then what happens? Maybe we get a little prideful and then we have a fall. We're just careful of that. But the truth is that troubled times will come. And when times are difficult, it doesn't mean that God is displeased with you. It's not God's hand of wrath upon you, God's uh, punishment upon you. Um, it's just not the case in Scripture. And we look at Joseph's life. Boy, he could have sat down there in that dungeon and said, Man, God must hate me. I must be mud. Right? But he didn't. Um, it wasn't, this wasn't the case for Job. He was righteous before God, yet he was tested. It wasn't the case for Jesus. And it wasn't the case with Paul. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11, and he's got this resume here that I don't wish to repeat. But he says, he's talking about his life, he's talking about what he's gone through. He says, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. <clears throat> Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And no, he's not talking about, you know, he was hit with rocks, okay? Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, in the wilderness, on the sea. Among false brethren, I have been in labor and hardship through my sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Paul went through a lot. And yet, he never walked away from his faith. Never, you don't see him in the Scripture complaining once. How did he do that? Well, I would argue because he had an encounter with Jesus, right? Because he pressed into relationships and he knew his identity in Christ and he expected hardships. Jesus was up front with him. I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. Paul knew it was coming, but he didn't turn away. In fact, he went on to, to write these words in Romans 8, where I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Paul had his eyes not down here, but in heaven. 
right? His heart, his focus was on God. That's how he was able to endure suffering. He was able to endure hard time. Now I'll be honest and say, I don't always get why bad things happen to good people. There's a lot of good theology out there about it that you could read on. There's a lot of bad theology out there too. Uh, I'm not there yet. I don't always understand it. But I do know this. Never underestimate the power of God's purpose, the God's plan in the midst of hard times. Amen? <clears throat> when Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles was facing circumstances beyond his control, there was a multitude of armies too big to number that he was faced with. Circumstances beyond his control. The people gathered together to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat spoke to them. He spoke to the Lord and he said, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. But we do know, we do not know what to do. You ever gotten in that place where you just don't know what to do? Don't know what to do with this circumstance. But what's he say? He says, but our eyes are on you. When you face hard times, know it's, it's going to be for your good. And just turn your eyes to the Lord. The devil must be the most frustrated being on earth. Because everything that he does, that he intends for your destruction, God can take and use for your good. Amen? So today, if you are facing hard times, or maybe in the past you've suffered, and, and you've found yourself asking why, Give that to the Lord. Turn your eyes to the Lord. And know that it can result, and it will result in your, in your growth to be more like Jesus, to walk closer to Him. That's about all I have today. Um, encounter Jesus. Embrace your identity in Christ. Let others in. Engage in those relationships. And expect hard times, but remember God's purpose in them. I want to let you know, too, that as you leave here today for more study, this is the professor in me coming out, um, I have a um, handout for you. Um, those are $5.99, and um, I'm just kidding. Um, but what this is, there's just so much that the Word says about who you are in Christ. This is who am I? And there are prompts uh, with the scriptures that join in with your identity. So if you'd like to study that more, uh, that's on the table as you leave. Uh, thank you all for your time today. It's a pleasure to, to get to minister with you. Amen.